0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: Helen Farmer with you on today's episode of Afternoons. We were in conversation with the best selling author, the world renowned therapist, Marissa Peer, as we talked about not feeling enough, whether it's personally or professionally, why so many people, even incredibly successful individuals, often feel like imposters. She had some strategies and some mindset adjustment if there's something that you're struggling with. It was Dr. May Ali from Kings on hand as we discuss HPV, what exactly it is, who it affects and the implications of the vaccine as well. Tom Paulson from House and House was on hand as we discussed the rental market are these prices sustainable and what would he advise his best friend he owned a property plus it was madeleine mendy on hand as we discussed getting married quickly getting divorced easily and everything in between in our family law special I'm so honoured to have carved out some time in our next guest's schedule. Marissa Peer is with us. She's a world-renowned therapist, a best-selling author, and one of the most recognised names in the wellness industry right now. Her career has spanned decades um, and treated the likes of superstars, royalty, Olympic athletes, CEOs, helping them to reframe their issues, turn their lives around with her approach RTT, Rapid Transformational Therapy. Um, We are talking today about one of the areas she's really passionate about, why so many of us feel like we are not enough. Whether that's personally, professionally, she's written books about it and is now in Dubai helping people here. Marissa Peer, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. That's that's what I want to hear from wellness expert that you are doing well and an advert for your for your own work and own mindset. Now it's such an honour to have you in Dubai, and I understand you can be spending a bit more time here. Is that right? Yeah, we moved here. Yay. We moved here seven weeks ago. Congratulations! You timed it well. The weather's absolutely beautiful. We did. Um, I wouldn't. I'd love to start, if you don't mind, by asking you to share a little bit about your background and why you became so passionate about helping people overcome those feelings of not being enough.
0: Yes, I was always going to be a school teacher. Actually, I actually wanted to be a child psychologist. and I thought about being a school teacher because I've always wanted to help people. But I realized that actually being a therapist was suited me more, actually. And so I became a hypnotherapist because that's the fastest way by, by any means to get very quick results and everybody in pain wants quick results whether you're in real pain because you have stress headaches or an irritable bowel or real pain Mm -hmm. that's a different pain because you can't find love or you lose your temper all the time and so I found hypnosis to be the most effective way but I realized that all my clients whether I was working with an Olympic athlete or a major seer a billionaire or someone who indeed was a school teacher They'd all have the same problem, which is they never felt good enough, worthy enough. And the higher I went with clients, the more I saw it. So I'd worked with many suicidal people at the top of their game. And I realized very quickly that it's the thread that's behind all of our issues, whether that's alcoholism or drug addiction or being addicted to shopping or indeed screen time. Because Mm -hmm. here's the thing, when you're not enough, you need more of something, Oh, that's and, interesting. So and it's I'd, chasing. Yeah, and I'd worked with thousands of addicts. And they all felt not enough. And I thought, well, surely if you treat what lay underneath, the, simp- the, the real issue rather than the symptom, you get better results. So I began to treat I am not enough in almost all of my clients. And it was so successful.
1: I wanted to ask you if you've been surprised over the years by some people who've come forward to you and been vulnerable enough to say, I don't feel I am enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. And you're going, well, my goodness, look at what you've achieved, look at your resume, look at your bank balance or your family. Do You know, I wouldn't say a
0: surprise at all because we see that in Princess Diana, in Whitney Houston, in Philip Seymour Hoffman, in George Michael, in Michael Jackson, in many people who had everything except the thing that matters. So actually it didn't surprise me at all. In fact, I began to expect to see that in people Mm. like that because people always think that famous people become damaged and they think they're not good enough. But actually I found it was the opposite People who don't feel good enough want to be famous, because then they'll feel worth something. But when they get there, far from making it better, it actually makes it worse. And we've seen that with Britney Spears. You know, you've kind of watched that poor girl unravel, unravel, because now she's in the public eye, and everyone knows that she doesn't feel good enough. And that must be so much harder, at least if it's just you, and no one knows you can hide it.
1: But in the public eye, there's nowhere to hide. So, what about then, in us mere mortals? How do you see it manifest in people who aren't chasing celebrity?
0: In mere mortals like me, well, it's it manifests in a couple of ways: not following the relate, not going for the love of your life. You know, I'll settle for less just in case, and I'll stay in an unhappy marriage because whatever, I don't find anyone else. So, it's not pursuing your relationship goals, but also in your career, I won't go for that promotion. I'll never get it. Mm. I, I, I couldn't possibly have my own business. I'll never write that book. I'll never pursue my dream. In fact, I see a lot of people in their 50s who become really terribly depressed because they'll say, you know, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I actually became a school teacher. I wanted to be a tennis player, but I went into the family accountancy firm. I didn't follow
1: my dream, and here I am now just desperate because I've, I've run out of time. So, and we see this a lot and I think it's a good reminder, you know, when people come to the end of their days that some of their big regrets are exactly that, not being true to themselves, not living aligned to their values or following their dreams. And that's not to say that, you know, everyone can be, you know, a Wimbledon tennis player, but... Why do you think some of us get in our own way? Then are we trying to protect ourselves from, you know, not reaching our dreams, not fulfilling that potential?
0: Well, your first question, you know, mo- when most people die, their greatest fear is, I haven't made an impact. I didn't make an impact, which is why I became a therapist because I knew I could make a big impact. Mm-hmm. Why do we get in our own way? Well, yeah, fear of failure because, you know, we have to remember that we're tribal people in very modern bodies, but we haven't changed that much. And when we were born, we are hardwired to find connection and avoid rejection. And anything that could get you rejected, we fear. But that's why we fear public speaking. We don't fear that at all, actually. We fear... What's underneath that, you could reject me. You Mm -hmm. could boo me off the stage or laugh at me and go, oh, you're rubbish. So human beings are hardwired to be terrified of rejection because it wasn't that long ago that it could kill you. If you were banished or cast out from your society or your village or your tribe, you'd had it. Mm -hmm. So today, when we all these songs, I'll die if you leave me, I can't live without you, which is utter rubbish. You'll find someone even better. (laughs) But... But we're we're sold this lie, rejection can kill you because you're very fragile. I prefer to say rejection can be the best thing that's ever happened to you because you're not fragile. You're strong and resilient and powerful. And I'm so glad my first boyfriend rejected me. I'm so glad I got asked to leave college. I'm glad I got fired from a few places because it actually was the best thing that ever happened to me. But at the time, it didn't feel like it.
1: No, I know, I know. I think everyone listening today has had those moments of, oh, gosh, is this what the universe is showing me, that I'm not good enough for that yeah. person or that, that boss? Yeah. Um. But where do these feelings come from? You know, not being good enough. Yeah, what can we point to? Who can well, we point no, to? Well, no to baby
0: to is born saying, gosh, I've got triple knees here, a really fat tummy, baggy skin, and no and teeth a, or and hair. And
1: I'm maths. Yeah.
0: <laughs> a, the baby has no concept. They're not anything but worthy. So the good news is we are not born with it. No one is born thinking, gosh, I'm not pretty. I don't have on designer clothes. I'm not living in a gorgeous house. I'm not eating organic food. I don't count. Every baby thinks they matter, which is why they demand attention at 3 a.m. So that's good that we weren't born with it. Where do we get it from? It starts with comparisons, and that happens very quickly. Your sister could read when she was four. Your brother wasn't a messy eater. Then we go to school, and they stream, which is a terrible thing to do. Academically stream, kids. So what you do is you reward achievement never effort and yet some of the kids that work hardest don't get the recognition they should get and now we have something even worse than parents comparing and schools which is pretty bad which is the media absolutely so we have magazines and television shows and social media and now we have sites you can go on and ask people to rate you oh gosh and they usually rate you as less than five And and people ask people, am I okay? They ask people to judge them, and mostly they judge them very unkindly. And you know, if if you watch Friends, I mean, no waitress ever lived in Central Park. That's just ridiculous. Everyone doesn't have a perfect body, and eat burgers and fries all the time. People don't have a kid and then are running on the beach in a thong bikini. No, no, no. But the media tells you they do. The media says you got to have fat hair. And thin thighs. (laughs) So if you happen to have thin hair and fat thighs, you think, oh, I don't fit in. And it's so wrong what we've done. I mean, I'm really glad now we have nobody shaming and a whole generation that are not buying that anymore. It's about time, but a we're still we still yeah. are very damaged. We are
1: very damaged. We've had a number of messages for you. We've got Marissa Peer with us today. The World renowned Therapist we're going to be talking about her specific approach, RTT, very soon. Um, a message here from Nitin saying, how does this relate to imposter syndrome?
0: Ooh. 80% of women have that and 40% of men. And again, it's that if you feel you're not good enough, then even if you get great grades or get great accolades, you'll still believe that you're not good enough. You know, there's so many people at the top of their game who say, I feel like a fake, I feel like a fraud. And so again, it's that comparing. Once you compare yourself to someone, there's always someone younger, thinner, richer, and better than you always. So you have to learn not to compare. You know, I've written some best selling books. I'm very proud of it. If I went and had a look, I'd find someone who's got more sales than me. So there's someone now who I greatly admire who's doing so much better than me.
1: But better, better by what measure? Oh, Marissa? by in terms by of her numbers. sales. Yeah, her numbers and her sales. But, but then, you know, I'm, I'm, thank you for for admitting to this. Cause I think, you know, I'm much the same. You know, I I try to be secure, but, you know, I think it's, it's human nature to compare. Yeah. You know, you kind of to benchmark yourself against people. But you don't know what... Sacrifices she's or he has had to she, make. Yeah. Um. I'll ask you of her. Um. You know, in order to get those numbers, in mm. order to you know prioritize that over happy relationships yeah. with family. You know, we we just we don't know. We just don't know.
0: But you know, it didn't. When I looked at her, her name's is Dr. Julian. Um. She's actually done really well, and I thought, you know what? Let me look at what she's done, and I actually bought her book and read it, and said, oh, I can see what she's done. And I wasn't jealous. I thought, gosh, she deserves all her success. And she's really helped people in mental health because she's made the message so simple. She's big on TikTok, right? Mm. So it's easy to think, oh, she's better than me rather than, well, look, she's got a bigger audience than me in her field, which she absolutely deserves. But that doesn't diminish what I've done. Mm. doesn't diminish who I've helped. So the problem is not, is someone better than you? you Because you're always going to find what we call BBD, the bigger, better deal. Always. It's... What am I doing about it? Am I feeling resentful, pissed off, angry, jealous, hurt? Or am I saying, well, that doesn't diminish. It's like saying my friend's kid is more attractive. My friend's partner is better looking than mine. My friend's partner is wealthier than me. And, of course, you see a lot of that here in mm-hmm. Dubai. But does that diminish? It, it's it's up to you to talk yourself into that or out of it. And as you say, you have no idea what's going on in someone else's life. We used to, we used to look at Seal and Heidi Klum getting married every year for six years. And then on year seven, she ran off with someone else. Exactly. Comparing so you our insides to
1: someone else's outside. Yeah. yeah. We've had a number of messages for you, Marissa, which we are going to come to in a, in a few minutes. Now, when you reflect on 30 years of therapy, um, I wondered, you know, are there any specific events or experiences that can contribute to these feelings of not enough? You know, how important is it to indeed identify that root cause in order for you to treat it?
0: Yeah, you know, I look a lot with my clients at the four ways, one of the bedrocks of RTD is that the way we behave in order to belong and there's only four and the first is to get sick. Many children get sick because if you if you don't feel love the next best thing is to be sick because then you get a detention. After that it's trying to be the brilliant kid because if you're the brilliant kid just like in a tribe if you're the brilliant hunter you're indispensable then you have my group, the carer, who becomes a therapist or a nurse or a doctor or a carer because they give what they haven't got, kindness, affection, love. And then you have the fourth one, which is a difficult rebel who has given up everything else and just draws attention to themselves. Mm-hmm. And each one of those behaviors comes about because of one reason. I don't feel I belong. I don't feel important. I don't feel significant. And I think it's amazing how quickly children pick up. You don't love me. I don't matter. You wanted a girl. I'm a boy. You wanted a boy. I'm a girl. You wanted a math genius and I'm not. You wanted someone super sporty and I'm not. And I think that's very difficult because so many children pick up this expectation and feel a disappointment and always say the same thing. Every time my mum is right, I'm wrong. Every time my dad is right, I'm wrong. I was working recently with 15 suicide And they all said exactly the same thing. I don't belong to anyone oh, or anything. I don't matter. I'm not significant. And so that comes up time and time again with every client. Sometimes they have the most loving parents. They go, yeah, but they sent me to boarding school. They made me do math. They made me do this. They forced me to do that. So we have two types of parents that get it wrong. The very pushy ones and the ones who Disappear not to care at all, and then in the middle we have us who think we've got it right.
1: And I (laughs) I didn't want to go there. Still messing them up somehow. I
0: wanted a bike, and I got a skateboard. I wanted this, and you got me that. I didn't want to go to this. So impossible to get it right. Mm -hmm. But the thing is to understand what makes small children tick. And all they ever need is for you to be present with them and to feel that they're getting it right mm-hmm. and that they, they've got a gift all of their own. Even if, if you don't know what, even if you have no idea what it is, or you don't
1: understand it at all,
0: you know. And I wish I'd known as a parent that my job really was to grow my child healthy self esteem and to be present. And I was so busy doing the organic food and get, going to the right school and passing exams, none of which actually is, is anything like as important as has your kid got healthy self esteem can even when you're f- working can you still be present with them sometimes mm-hmm. cuz that's really all they need but you know no one teaches
1: us this stuff how no. do you know
0: as a parent how to get it right and it changes all the time changes
1: all the time so so parents listening today and maybe if you could go back in time, you know, 20 years or so, um, what would you be doing on a daily or regular basis, Marissa, I think to, to apologizing.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I learned very quickly. I say to my daughter, today, darling, mommy lost it and mommy wasn't kind. Mm. And she'd say, mommy, have you got your period today? And I go, yes, yeah, because I knew it. <laughs> so I'd, I'd own it a lot. Or I'd say, you know, today I'm so sorry. I think when you apologize to kids... You see, so many children, well, almost all of them, have this not-enoughness. Where does that come from? It comes from a small child, doesn't have any logic. Until the age of five, there's no logic, only f- emotion. So a small child looks at mum who's crying or dad who's shouting or dad who isn't there, and they can only come out with one conclusion. This is my fault. Mm-hmm. So children never stop loving their parents. They immediately and sometimes permanently stop loving themselves. They look at what's going on and think, this is my fault. My mom's crying, I must not make her happy. My dad's shouting, I must not make him happy. And that's bad enough, but the real horrible thing is that once you buy into that, it, it doesn't just end itself when you grow up and think, oh, actually, my parents would never have got by. My mother was just a dramatic person, or it was just their way. You always have now got this belief, I'm not enough, which is the thread that causes all of our issues And it starts in childhood because children don't have the logic to work out what's going on. The brains aren't developed
1: enough to apply it even all the way through the teen years. Yeah, of course. So let's... And we are going to look properly at at RTT after half past. But I've had a message from a mum actually um, saying, thank you so much for this. Um, Really good timing. Uh, My daughter's my absolute world. I love her more than anything, but I feel like I'm letting her down constantly. I'm not a good enough mum. She's eight months old. I've gone back to work part time. She's not coping very well. Not napping, not eating or drinking. Um, Sleep is really bad. She seems much happier with her dad. Um, I feel like she's getting fed up. With me, he says I'm overthinking it, but for the last two weeks I've been crying and feeling really down about myself. I just want to be a good mum and I'm worried that I'm not.
0: And all you can do when you have to go to work is when you go to work, go to work. And the minute you come home, switch everything off and just be a mum. Even if you've only got three hours with an eight-month-old baby, just be with her. They don't care about stuff being ironed. They don't care for houses. And if they couldn't care less if you're eating ready meals. And so many people say, you know, I want it, I'm want i ironing, I'm cooking, I'm cleaning forget all of that and just sit with your baby on your lap, even sleep with them. A lot of people think that's wrong, but at least have them in your room. And because you have plenty of hours to be a mother still. And it isn't that you're not there. Your baby's picking up your stress Mm. and your worry and they they pick it up. And so she's fretful because you're fretful. So you have to say, I'm a great mum. I love this child more than I go to work. I come home. When I come home, I am completely a mum," you know, If she's eight months old, she'll be asleep probably by 8 You still have another hour to do the laundry and all the stuff that really doesn't matter. No kid cares if the house is messy and the sheets aren't ironed. Um, And it also, it goes so quickly. You want to enjoy
1: every minute of that babyhood because it's gone in the blink of an eye. Marissa Pierce, speaking as a therapist, I say this as just as a fellow mum, that the fact that you care so deeply shows that you are a really, really good mum. Of course, she cares so deeply. You do. It's all for them. They'll... Talk, but I think you're absolutely right. When we come home feeling heightened and stressed and anxious and not enough, up. of course they do. Um, but sending, sending hugs to you, no name on 4001. Mm-hmm. Best-selling author and world-renowned therapist Marissa Peer is with us in the studio. She has helped thousands of clients over her 30-year career, from rock stars and royalty to... Us here in Dubai, where we're happy to announce she is now based. She's going to be doing trainings and, of course, treatments as well. Um, Marissa, we're talking about this idea of not feeling enough, not feeling good enough. And we've had some really interesting text messages that I'm going to put to you in a minute. But I wanted to ask you about strategies, techniques, and, of course, RTT in particular, which is your approach, uh, rapid transformational therapy. What are some of the circuit breakers or game changers that you've seen incredible results with?
0: Well, you know, the way you feel about everything is really only ever down to two things. The pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself, there's nothing else. The way you feel always goes back to the pictures you're making, the words you're forming. And once you start to remember, the, but but I can change the words. So I'm chronically tired, you know, I'm a little bit tired, I'm stressed out of my mind. Actually, I'm not. I just need half an hour to sit down. My mm-hmm. kids are making me lose my mind. It's... Really, they're just acting age-appropriate. Christmas is so stressful. Well, yeah, if you haven't got anyone to buy and cook and shop for, it's even more stressful. At least you've got that. So the thing is, you are putting the pictures in your head, and you're putting, no one else is saying you're a big loser, you're an idiot, your house doesn't look like it's just come out of a magazine, your kids aren't perfect. It's you. So the fastest way to change everything is change the pictures, change the words. Just look at the words you're using and up the positive and, and minimize the negative. It, it's a game changer because the mind isn't complicated, it's very simple. And so you have to know three things in order to have an amazing life. The way you feel is down to the words and pictures you form. Your mind is always trying to go back to what's familiar so you can make good stuff familiar and then it will go back to that. And if the mind likes what's familiar, which it does, all you have to do is make it's like praise instead of a criticism. Mm-hmm. Just be nice to yourself, be kind, look at what you're doing right, not wrong. And finally, the mind is it always does what it thinks you want, and it bases on how you talk to yourself. Your mind doesn't know or care if what you tell it is good or bad, helpful or hurtful, useful or useless. So you might as well tell yourself better things. I'm an idiot, I'm actually incredibly smart. I can't remember a thing. I have a phenomenal memory. I get fat just looking at food. I have an amazing metabolic Where You might think it's not true, but neither is saying I've got the bum the size of a bridge. I could eat a horse. I'm exhausted. I'm shattered. Mm. See, these things aren't true. So if you're going to lie to yourself, at least
1: tell yourself a productive lie, a better lie, a useful lie. How long does it take, though, for your brain to – I, I 100% understand what you're saying, yeah. but I'm just trying to apply it. And I just said to you off air that I'm feeling so overwhelmed right now. You know, I'm, there's kids and mm. parents and work and blah, 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 blah. And I, I mean, what you just said there in terms of that actually all being a privilege is absolutely right. Yeah, and if you right. just took out
0: the word overwhelmed, I think that's a not a great word because you might think it, but it's a word. What you're really feeling is I'm a successful woman. I've got children, parents, a life. And my problem is someone else's fantasy dream come true. But I would never use the word overwhelm. I'd say, I'm a little, um, got a lot going on at the moment. An or, abundance. Yeah, I've got abundance. <laughs> I've got a lot happening. And the best thing to say is what well, I can deal with. I, I've got fantastic coping skills. So overwhelm it makes a really negative picture. So the mind responds to words and make a picture. Overwhelm, exhausted, shattered, dying, losing my mind. But if you said... I've got along, but hey, I've got great coping skills. I'm an amazing coper. This too will pass. This time next week I'll be lying on the sofa doing nothing. This Sunday is coming up and I can catch up. If you can keep talking to yourself and it words that don't make a picture. So um just saying this too will pass, or this is just a little challenge. So if the mind doesn't make a big picture like this mm-hmm. is driving me crazy I'm going out of my mind this is hell this is a nightmare if you can minimize that and say it's just a thing it's just a thing it's just a day it's just an hour It's not forever it's not it'll
1: pass so is this is this similar to positive affirmations Then, how do you feel about
0: no it's not really it's understanding what makes you tick what makes you tick is that you you have your body has no choice but to respond to the words you're choosing so your your body, if you say, I always get flu, I always get headaches, every winter I get sick, every summer I get allergies, then one of the rules of your mind is that your body must act in a way that lines up with how you are describing yourself. It doesn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And if you know that your body has no choice but to act in a way that lines up with what you're saying then you think, well, but, but I could say something better. It's like, you know, if you say, oh, I'm so sad, your eyes will fill up with it. If you say, I'm embarrassed, you start to blush. If you say, I'm hungry, your stomach will rumble because the body always responds to thoughts. That's why when you take a drug, what you think of the drug, your body will respond more to that than what's in the drug. If you say, this is going to send me to sleep, wake me up, make me thin, give me energy. Make, you know, when you say to your kid, I'm going to kiss it better. That belief is so powerful and that belief never goes away. That's what the placebo is. So we all should be learning. My body has no choice but to respond to those. I have a choice to think better thoughts. What
1: about things like
0: fertility? Is that something you've helped people with with RTT? Oh, yeah. And here's the thing. It's called unexplained infertility. Isn't that an interesting word, which means we can't explain it. You've got great ovaries, a great womb. We don't even know what's going on here. So we're calling it unexplained and that means it's something going on in the mind and not the body. But your other question, is it hard? Does it take a long time? Well, not really. You can change in 21 seconds. You can change in 21 minutes. You, you can change all the time. In fact, you get the chance to change twice every single day. If you change just one word, like overwhelm, when you, then if you change a thought, then it changes an action. So you can change twice every single day. And the thing is, if you're not changing then you must be choosing to stay the same. The things that you do to change, which is change your language, change your thoughts, change your beliefs. Well, you're already thinking those thoughts and believing those beliefs. It's not even work. It's mm-hmm. just, oh, if I say things like, oh, this is a terrible time of year, or it's so stressful, or, oh, we're all just going downhill from, or this is the worst thing, or oh, you can never find a guy after 35. You're bound <laughs> to get fat once you get after the menopause. <laughs> You're already talking yourself into something. In the back foot. Talking yourself out of it. It's not even work. You know, people say, oh, it's so much work to change. It's actually a lot of work to stay the same. So the stuff I do, RTT, is based on really simple techniques that take minutes, even seconds. But the changes they bring about are profound. And out of all proportion
1: to how much work you do, which is pretty much none. Wow. Marissa appears with us today. We are going to get the text line. We'll be talking about this not enough, which is a real passion of Marissa's and a book has even been written about it. Um, Jen's saying, how do you know when you've made peace with yourself and do believe you're enough? What are the signs? So what does that life look like? What's on the other side?
0: Well, you don't doubt yourself and your life is far from perfect. It's, you still think things go wrong. You know, we came here seven weeks ago to move into our house. It was ready, and we're told, "Oh, it's not ready at all. It's ready, but the road isn't ready. The water's not on." Uh-huh. So that's been a big challenge. But you know, it, it, people who are enough don't have. But they still people die. People get sick. Things go wrong. You know, th- things happen. There are challenges. Flights get delayed. All kinds of things happen. COVID happens. But they deal with it better because they are able to understand that they are the constant. So you know you're enough when you stop doubting yourself, when you stop going, oh, that's not going to work. Who am I? I'm going to mess that up. That's going to fail. You know you're enough when you stop that negative language, Mm -hmm. when you stop being the critic and become your very own cheerleader. And that's what I've been doing in school, teaching kids to have a cheerleader rather than a critic. So you know you're enough when you can say, yeah, I didn't do a." This weekend wasn't great and I could have done better. I shouted at my husband and I didn't actually, I forgot to buy the milk, but you know what? I'm still enough because I'm a human being, not a human doing, which means I have to be more than I have to do. And also to understand that all you can ever be in this amazing world is a flawed person, having a flawed relationship with flawed people. I call it being flawsome and it's the best you can ever be. We're all flawed and we're gonna have flawed relationships. But you know what? If you were perfect, Helen, you'd be the unhappiest, loneliest
1: person oh, in the how whole world. boring would that be? Oh, it's so all so, well, People don't no want to be friends with that person. The people who
0: try to be, I mean, if we look at the Kardashians, don't they sell perfection? They're always fighting. <laughs> look at Housewives, all these beautiful women, Housewives of Dubai, Atlanta. And then you see something, oh, they are perfect to look at. And they have money and perfect wardrobes. Or you might see something like the OC or even Dubai bling, but when you look at those shows you see the truth, they're not any happier than I am. Mm-hmm. So we already know that not only does being perfect not make you happy it makes you incredibly lonely because the basis of all
1: friendship is we like people who share our vulnerabilities, exactly. people Connection. are perfect, don't have it, yeah. Absolutely right. Um, no name on this message for you, Marissa, saying, um, how about other people who've got impossibly high standards? I think my performance at work is more than good enough, I'm proud of myself, but my boss doesn't always agree. Are there some people that have, you know, is it a perfectionism thing, is it impossibly mm-hmm. high standards? Critical people always have the most criticism
0: reserved for themselves, but they manage to reflect it out. That isn't good enough. That isn't well done. You should have done better. But what you have to understand is they are expressing out with their own intense dissatisfaction. When it's your boss, it's hard to deal with it. But you have to come back and say, look, I think this is great. I did a good job. I'm sorry you're dissatisfied with it. But if they're always, you might have to pick that up with them and say, are you sure it's me? Because Mm -hmm. everything I do is not good enough. And yet I know that it's more than good enough.
1: Can we talk about going into 2024? I cannot believe it. A couple of weeks away. Um, To everyone listening today, what do you wish that everyone would do or try or adjust to either get out of their own way or start fulfilling their dreams maybe identifying what their goals might be yeah. to have a really happy and healthy year ahead
0: well if I would stop doing all resolutions and make the resolution to be your own best friend to say I'm enough like you know what would you say to your best friend you wouldn't go well of course you haven't got a date you've got fat legs of course um that's going to go wrong you aren't qualified. of course your kids are going to turn it. look you you know you're not a good enough you would never say that to your friend so you have to be your own best friend and stop with a criticism and, and start with a the praise. There is nothing that will build your self-esteem on the planet like self-praise and nothing that will minimize it like self-criticism. So up the praise, minimize the criticism. Constructive criticism's okay. And if you want to make a resolution, make this. Every day say, I'm enough, write it on your mirror, write it on your fridge, print it on your pillows, your cushions, and say it when you're cleaning your teeth or having a shower or waiting for the kettle to boil, because that's one resolution you'll never break. And just just be nice to yourself. Start to be your own best friend
1: instead of your own worst enemy. Presumably the knock-on effect is huge in terms of your relationships for one I would imagine.
0: Yeah. One of my clients said, you know, my kid said, Mummy, you've stopped being a shouty mummy because when she got into the enoughness, then you can
1: forgive yourself for messing up and say, Well, you know, I'm a human. I it's I'm not perfect. What about those romantic relationships? Have you seen clients who've had this light bulb moment are going, Why have I been wasting my time with this so-and-so
0: I think a lot of people who feel not enough try to make their partner you know you've got to be perfect but when you can allow yourself to be flawed then again you know that you're you're having a flawed relationship with a flawed person and so are they because many beautiful women look at princess Diana who got left for Camilla um Helena Yates um was actually no sorry it was um Helena Christensen, that was left for Paulie Yates. There are beautiful women who get left all the time. Beautiful, stunning, gorgeous. So, a romantic relationship is not about, hey, I'm perfect and you're perfect. Let's have a perfect. It's, hey, I'm flawed and you're flawed, but let's have a great time together. Let's mm-hmm. not worry about. Making the house perfect or the meal perfect. Let's just you know, because you're happy so it's snuggling up, you know, watching TV. I think eating on the sofa. It's not going
1: out to have a candlelit dinner or dressed up. I think that's such a good message going into the festive season. We've got such high expectations such of we can have the most perfect holiday. And I realised this over the summer when we had a family holiday and I was like, was the holiday perfect? No. But were there these perfect moments of just Lapping our heads off and yeah. connection and you know, silliness and beauty in the landscape, yes, absolutely. Um, but we, you know, ec- expectation can, can I be the, know, the, and that's the, the problem. You've got to give yourself a
0: break because the same thing with Christmas, it's not really about having amazing gifts all wrapped up, it's about playing cards and playing exactly. games and watching a movie together and, again, eating on the sofa and just having fun. That whole thing about having... I mean, I couldn't imagine going to a hotel for Christmas dinner because it's like, oh, well, that's not being in the house
1: and lying on the sofa with your family. And <laughs> I spoke to a friend this morning. She's like, we've, we've all got pyjamas. We're not leaving the house. Well, see, isn't that perfect? Well, I know, and it's funny, isn't it? Because for this year we are actually going to go out because I don't want to have to, you know... Think yeah. about the cleaning and the. da-da-da-da-da. But the day before, the day after, oh, there will be no structured clothing at all. I'm going
0: to turn into a cheese
1: board. That's the plan.
0: And then, if you think of your happy, people say, "Oh, my happiest moment. I love getting into clean sheets oh. or a fresh cup of coffee or hearing birds sing or hearing my children giggling." And so, when you look back on your life, it's never the big things; it's always the little things it that is. make you the happiest.
1: Marissa, for anyone that wants to avail of your expertise, you obviously the books are out, you're available online, you're going to be doing some training for yeah. RTT therapists, of which there are now 17,000, did you say, internationally? We've, I've trained 17,000 people all over the world. But I've trained 120
0: people just here in the UAE. We've got wow. some girls and guys in Dubai that have got a very successful RTT practice, dealing with people who all feel they're failing when they're actually not. It's such a great job because... You don't have that feeling of failing. You're making people feel better. You're When when you change other people's lives, you also change your own. So finally, in February, we're bringing RTT Live to Dubai. Brilliant. We're doing a live training. If you want to be an RTT therapist, you can do it live in Dubai this February.
1: What, is there a website we can point people to Yeah, go to
0: RTT.com or go. indeed marisapier. com, and you can find out where it is, how much it is. You don't have to have any therapy
1: background to train with us because it's so thorough. You are enough. That's yeah. what you need to be saying to yourself, guys. Marissa Pierre, thank you so so much. Yeah, it's been buy a Christmas t shirt. <laughs> exactly. Say I'm enough. Put it on your put it on your napkins this year. The best gift you can give to yourself. Um, it is th- thank you so so gift. much. It's been such a valuable conversation and I, I think really timely for an awful lot of people right now. Thank you. And I'm putting the word overwhelm out of my vocabulary. Yeah, never use it. I'm again. excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm coping is a great I word. I am
0: coping. I have extraordinary coping skills. Well, will tell you, mind. Hey, I can just power through this. There you go. That's it. My new mantra,
1: Marissa Pier. It's all about medicine. This next half hour, you can be completely anonymous. Just leave your name off. Make up a name. Make up a whole identity. I really, really don't mind. We are talking health today with Dr. May Ali, obstetrician and gynaecologist at King's College Hospital Dubai, and we're looking at HPV. Interestingly, um, a new study published in the Lancet Global Health showed that almost one in three men over the age of 15 are infected with at least one HPV type. We are talking men, women, vaccine and virus on the show today. Um, Dr. May, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. I feel like this is such an important topic. And actually, the few times I've been to King's over the last few uh, few months, you guys are going really, really hard on educating people about HPV in terms of signage around, leaflets being sent out, the website. Um, so thank you for, for really being on a mission to raise awareness around it. I would love to go back to basics, if you don't mind, Dr. May. Can you explain mm-hmm. what the HPV virus is? Actually, is
2: right. Okay, I mean uh, HPV virus is actually a human papilloma virus. That's the complete name for it, and it is a very common uh, group of viruses. It's more than hundred species which affecting. Uh, men and women and affecting the skin and also affecting the uh, mucous membrane. I mean, it is important to know a lot about virus because it is, I mean, can cause uh, the cancer of the genital area. And that's why it is important to know about it and try to avoid it and have the vaccine. So that's why, I mean, you heard a lot of from let and from all the information around, you know, I mean, the hospitals to make sure everyone knows about this virus. Okay, so that's actually the virus. I mean, it is in general, it's DNA virus. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, In terms of different types there, would you mind explaining um, a little bit about what's the most common? Are there any particular types that are more dangerous than others, doctor?
2: Uh, Yes, I mean, uh, the virus is, I mean, it is either a low risk or high risk. The low risk, which is uh, usually can relate it to the warts in the skin. And in general, I mean, these, most of them, is, they are benign and doesn't cause, I mean, uh, not related to the cancer directly. But the HPV high risk, which is, I mean, usually it is related to the cancerous cells if it is not treated in time. Mm-hmm. But if it's treated, of course, that can be avoided. But because, I mean, it is, very common virus a lot of women they have it but not everyone it's even if they have high risk means they're going to have to have the cancer in the future because it is sometimes is in the body but it can be activated when the immunity is low mm-hmm. and can cause some changes in the cells and that's the only way we know about it from tests you know like the routine test for women actually which we design it like what we call it pap smear and uh, that started years, years ago. I mean, that's the idea of it—just to find out if there is any virus or if there is any changes, we can treat it in time so it doesn't convert to the cancers. So that's why it is important to know about this high risk, mainly because this is the importance of it. So, how does
1: someone get, in fact, infected? How do you contract HPV, Doctor May?
2: Uh, They usually, I mean, the HPV is transmitted, I mean, uh, through the direct contact. So whether with the skin or direct contact with the uh, the cervix, you know, like, I mean, which is the neck of the womb. And that's, I mean, from infected person, I mean, just direct contact with that area and that can cause, you know, the infection. And also, you know, sometimes from, for pregnant women, if they have any, you know, I mean, this warts or anything in the genitalia can also transmit it to the baby but it is not that common but it is also it's important to know about it and it is if it's treated or i mean take some precautions we can hopefully avoid all that so these are ways usually it is transmitted between actually a human in general um, we've had messages
1: asking about the vaccine, which we're going to come on to in just a few minutes. But I wanted to come back to that Lancet report, which was showing that almost one in three men over the age of 15. Mm-hmm. Um, are. Is there a gender that's more susceptible to HPV, doctor?
2: The, you mean the treatment?
1: And, no, I about, mean in terms of is it more common in, in women than men? Uh, or vice
2: no, versa? I mean, it is, it is common in both, I think, both sex, to be honest. But because we always, always concentrate on women for last years, I mean, and try to, I mean, treat, to do tests and treat it. So, I mean, most of the time, I don't think anyone think, I mean, what to do for men actually to protect as well for both. Because it is also sexually transmitted. So we need to make sure you oh. protect it. But these days, because, I mean, there is a lot of vaccine to men. I mean, unfortunately, there is no test direct test for men to find out but there is test for women to find it. Unless, I mean, the men, they have, you know, the words, we can test for that. But other than that is not actually any test specific. So, but it is common for both sex. I don't think, I mean, it is, I mean, it is in the men more than women, but I think because the concentration before is more on women. Mm. So the women start to have it less because it is, I mean, it's find out from beginning, they have vaccine about started actually early in, in 2000. In, uh, in UK, in Europe, and in USA, I mean, they start vaccine, vaccinated all you know girls. So maybe that also contribute to reduce the infection for the women compared to the men. I think the men just recently, I mean, they started to vaccinate them. Okay. All right. If
1: you've got any questions for Dr. May Ali, please, please, please get in touch. We've had one from an expectant mum. We've had messages asking about the side effects of the vaccine as well. Um, Can we talk a little bit about, we mentioned pap smear then, which is obviously um, the check that women might be having. Um, Mm -hmm. What exactly, and, and I think there's, I mean, to have that word abnormal on the report is not pleasant for any woman to, to hear over the phone or on a letter. Um, could you explain a little bit about what happens during the pap smear and indeed what that word abnormal might be signifying, Dr. May?
2: Right. OK. I mean, the uh, this special test, we do it actually for the uh, neck of the womb or the cervix. And that can show, I mean, about the self, which is normal or abnormal. Of course, I mean, the pap smear is not always exactly, actually, the the accuracy we wanted. Sometimes it can be, you know, I mean, false positive or false negative. I mean, but if it is positive, which means there is possibility of changes in the self. So that means we need to investigate a little bit more. And there is a, another test we do. I mean, to look directly on the cervix and to look on special, I special, special, mean, mm-hmm. um, solution, to, we can see what abnormality it is and whether we need to treat or whether to, to wait. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, some, I mean, most of the time, I mean, there is about, I mean, 70% maybe, I mean, the, ser- the virus can disappear from the body by itself. If the woman have the abnormal cells, level which is there is abnormality it needs treated but if it is the minor actually changes we usually wait because sometimes it can disappear from the body I mean and we don't need actually we just need to follow the pap smear to make sure that is gone from the body so I mean that's the way how we we think about it but for women they have to understand I mean the abnormal cells doesn't mean cancer because most of them they concern about that when they when you tell them that this is that is abnormal cells it's, oh my god I'm yeah exactly so but I need to assure them it doesn't mean cancer which I mean the the meaning is needs I mean these cells if it's not treated in 10 years 15 years it can't change for cancer okay. so it's better actually to be treated I mean if need the treatment or the doctor of course going to tell them what is the best way actually to follow it Okay. Joining
1: us from King's College Hospital, Dubai, Dr. May Ali, obstetrician and gynecologist. We're talking HPV this afternoon. Hot health topic, judging by the number of messages we've had for you, Dr. May. We're going to try and help out as many people as possible. Talking about just how common it is, how people can and do live um, sometimes without knowing and sometimes fully knowing that they do have HPV. Um, Before we go to talks of vaccines, of which we've had a lot of messages about, anonymous message on the text line, and you're the perfect person to answer this given your obs and experience saying um, hi both I tested positive for HPV some time ago and most likely still have it I'm getting closer to my due date and I keep receiving and reading contradictory opinions can you please share if you've got any experiences can I harm the baby in case of a natural birth or should I opt for a c-section would you mind explaining about HPV in pregnancy and indeed birth for everyone listening today but of course this this uh, listener that's just been in touch
2: Right. Okay. I mean, it's HPV uh, because it's common. To be honest, and uh, it can stay in the body for a longer period of time. If she's, I mean, tested positive and she doesn't have any abnormal cells, she doesn't have warts or anything outside, it's not going to harm the baby. I'm not going to cause any problem. But if it is active, you know, like I mean, as there is, a, I mean, it is a skin lesion. And thus, there is a tiny, small risk when the baby is delivered, it can affect a little bit the throat. But I mean, unless she doesn't have any problem, I don't think I will, we don't usually advise for the section just because she tests HPV positive.
1: Okay, hope that helps. Um, I'd be happy to connect you guys separately if that, um, if that would be useful. Let's talk about the HPV vaccine. In an ideal world, Dr. May, who would be having, having it and indeed when?
2: Right. Okay. I mean, the HPV vaccine. It started with the girls between age 11 and 12, and there is only two doses within six months or one year. And if they done that, they don't need anything because the best actually uh, the, back, the best time for vaccine to work when these girls they are not exposed to yet to the back, to the HPV. Okay, but also, I mean, we're not saying, I mean, the older the women or the older age, I mean, they can't take it. Mm-hmm. They still can't have the vaccine. I mean, because even if they have some species of this virus, they can't protect from the others. Oh, and, I, see. I mean, okay. yeah, because, I mean, at the moment also they discover, I mean, originally they just protect from two high-risk virus. Now it's about nine high-risk viruses. And this, I mean, it can also protect a little bit from the others. And the study goes on, actually, to protect for more and more viruses. So and for men, is, is the same. Actually, they start in USA. I think in UK, they start to vaccinate the men mm-hmm. or started also from the younger age. And I mean, the same thing. It's two doses.
1: We've had exactly that. Is one shot enough? Is it covered by insurance? Great question on 4001, Dr. May. Is, is the HPV vaccine covered?
2: Some, some insurance they cover it but not all of them.
1: Okay what about side effects um, are there any serious side effects that you've seen in your time or indeed some everyday commonplace side effects from that vaccine?
2: The, in general doesn't cause a side effect of course can cause a little bit pain you know tiredness like any virus I mean any vaccine from any uh, for the other viruses but not as a, I mean any serious side effect I mean there is no record of serious side effect from that vaccine
1: So that would be a little bit of soreness around the injection site, that kind yeah, of thing Yeah, okay. exactly yeah. So I'm just thinking about putting my kind of parent hat on um, For anyone who's got children who you know, are kind of teen or preteen what would your advice be?
2: I strongly advise for all of them, actually, for girls and boys to be vaccinated together. Okay, so they have to vaccinate their children at that age, about 10, 11 years old, of even, I mean, it is 12, 13, still all right. And uh, I mean to protect them because we have to work together, you know, for both of them, Mm -hmm. not only girls, not only the boys, both of them. Because for the future, hopefully we can get rid of the vaccine completely if we do that. Okay, so, uh, I mean, because, I mean, I know it's a lot of parents, they think, okay, I mean, we we don't, I mean, our girls not exposed a lot, and they, I mean, it is not important to give it to them, but it is, no, they have to give, I mean, this vaccine. are really, really strong it and they can do it by GP, by pediatrician, by uh, obstetrician, you know, all doctors, I think they are happy to do that.
1: I th- that was exactly what I was about to ask you next. Is is it a case of going to see your family doctor or do you need to make an appointment with an, an guy such as yourself? So your family doctor can do this, is that right?
2: The family doctor can do that, yes. I mean a pedi- Pediatrician, I think they do also for the girls, boys, you know, in that age. Okay, I mean, I even heard to be honest, I mean, in Canada, I think they start to vaccinate the children. You know, that's a young, a very young age, I mean, about the HPV, which is, I know it's too early for them, but it's they introduce a vaccine as well for younger, younger age. So, I mean, it is good, I think, to know about, I mean, there is something actually to protect us from such actually, I mean, uh, the horrible uh, disease or I mean, to protect from cancer in general, because it can affect both sex, I mean, the risk of the cancer.
1: And just lastly, we've had a message going, how um, does it go away on its own? So in most cases, does HPV go away on its own? And obviously we've talked about when left untreated, it can lead to cervical cancer, genital warts. Um, But how common is it for it to just simply disappear? It
2: is actually disappeared by its own. I mean, in about, I mean, I would say 60, 70 percent, and especially in the younger age. Mm -hmm. And that's why, I mean, I mean, some countries, they don't start, you know, the pap smear until 25, after 25 or 26 because they saw it in the younger age because their immunity is good i mean the virus is can, can disappear by itself i mean the problem there is no direct uh, medication or any i mean sort of treatment to the virus itself mm-hmm. Makes so sense. what we do we always we just treat what is the symptoms which are affecting by the virus okay but i mean of course i mean the lifestyle you know avoid smoking you know i mean it's healthy in general that's protect them as well to get the virus like any virus so i mean there is different things we can try you know i mean also i mean using special precautions you know for i mean during i mean in in their i mean uh, uh, like protection Mm -hmm. that will help as well to avoid you know having the virus
1: Thank you, Dr. May. Really valuable insight. And I think a lot of people perhaps using a bit of downtime over Christmas and New Year to get You're booked right. in for those jabs. Um, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Dr. May Ali Thank speaking you. to us from King's College Hospital on the topic of HPV. This is Afternoons with Helen Farmer on Dubai Eye 103.8. With House and House, 10 years of unlocking opportunities in Dubai real estate. Hope you're having a great one. Welcoming to the studio now, Thomas Poulson. He is the new sales director, ex-leasing director at House & House. So he really having a foot in both camps when it comes to renting and selling here in Dubai. We're picking his brains on the rental market. Basically, we're talking about what you're talking about, which is numbers going up. Where's the availability? Where's the stock? What's hot? How are you, Tom? Good,
3: thank you, Helen. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolute pleasure. You've been in Dubai coming into eight years now. Have you had? Have you lived all over Dubai? Have you been kind of lo- loyal to a locale?
3: No, I think I went through the typical <laughs> oh, yeah. expat journey of starting in a villa share. Me too. And then moving into a small studio apartment. Me too. In Sports City, so <laughs> the villa share was in the Springs, and then a small, a very small studio apartment, in the hotel uh, apartment in the Sports City. And then I moved to, yeah, Dubai Hills in rental. So I've got my first like long-term contract there. Mm-hmm. And then and now I've gone through the whole journey and bought in the same localities, Dubai Hills, yeah.
1: Ooh. So, so this recently. is interesting because you can talk about, well, you've, you've, you've been there, you've experienced that kind of the process. Um, I think it's funny how what a different experience you have in Dubai depending on where you live. Because I did exactly the same. Villa share, we were in apartment share, living in a studio on my own. I don't think my husband's listening. I loved living on my own in that little studio. Yeah. <laughs> I was, so, I was so happy there. <laughs> he knows, he knows. Um, it was, uh, and then now in a in a rented villa. And it's it's funny, isn't it, when we think about the impact that prices have on where we choose to live, and just how the cities evolved in that sense. You know, we were broadcasting with with the house and house last week in Arabian mm-hmm. Ranches. When I first moved here, coming up to seventeen years ago, that was deemed to be quite quite far out, and yeah. now. My gosh, you know, people living, you know, within half an hour of that, you know, look at looking for those great homes at great prices. Um, We're seeing prices are definitely higher than I've known them for quite some time. What are some of the things we can point to for those reasons?
3: Well, I think that naturally a lot of people set their benchmark of someone else they know who's always paying less, Mm -hmm. which, of course, across that pandemic era, the prices really did take a massive nosedive, as we know. You can't really look at that as a real market in that sense. But nevertheless, there are people that definitely benefit. I went moved into my that first apartment in Dubai Hills. It was only a year old at the time or so. And I was paying like 60,000 dirham oh, a year for that. And, and now they're renting it- for around like 120. Yeah. So, of course, I, I kept on that low rate as long as I could. Um, I think that the back to your question, you know, so there's always going to be people that then go, oh, I know someone paying that, I know someone paying this. But um I think that the way that as we know it's quite commonly, you know, preached about how well Dubai handled COVID and was Absolutely. a real almost in a way an advert for the place in terms of the recovery speed and things getting relatively back to normality using oh. inverted commons. We
1: boomeranged back to dining out for sure. And I think a lot yeah. of people, as you as you rightly say, you know, very agile, you know, whether it was, you know, apps and, and business and, and quality of life, it became mm. a very attractive place to be when things were pretty poor in other parts of the world for a continued yeah, amount of time
3: absolutely i mean i'm assuming yourself um you know from the uk it was going on for years you know it seemed it dragged on when you called was zoom called home and oh whatever but gosh. and i think that's just continued the momentum of that i think that they've obviously want to now dubai encourage people to stay here longer they've got these new you know visa schemes and so on. it's a lot easier to get a longer residency here
1: and to live here longer as well you know it's not a case yeah. of you know back in back in the day, you get to a certain age, and then sorry that's that's you've had yeah. your time, you know people choosing to retire here
3: exactly, and I think definitely from personal point of view, I think you know you can ask a lot of the people, especially in our industry, what we work in real estate, but Dubai was very much just seen, and almost like once again back then, seven, eight years ago, advertisers kind of you get in, earn your money for a couple of years, and you get out and but now that's just not the case. I don't, I, you know, I've, I'm maybe I, talking wrong, but no, no, no. it seems to me there that, that, that a lot more people kind of come into this, were more vested in interest in staying here longer. Mm-hmm. I completely Home is agree. not what all, it was. Or
1: what we've seen. I've seen this with quite a few friends moving back to the UK and going oh yeah <laughs> just, oh, yeah, I mean, just yeah. to come back yeah. so my mum my and dad are in in uh in dubai right now for the holidays and said to us over the weekend you'd be mad to come back right now
3: exactly what mine always say is it really they come visit they just say just stay, stick it out as long as you yeah, can quite yeah quite
1: right so as a result yeah you've got people you but yes yeah, so, look, looking so more, more people
3: come in and then more people staying longer yeah um so therefore the old adage of you know supply how basic demand. economics works of supply and demand if there's if the supply in the market is not, you know, reaching the demand and there are, they have trying to, you know, there's a lot of handovers or a lot of units launched this year, but they're going to trickle over the next few years. Definitely over the next coming years, there is going to be pre- further pressure, I believe, on house price you know, going up. You've
1: and- just mentioned Dubai Hills there, which I think has seen an enormous growth in terms of rental. What other areas are you identifying with house and house, you know, from brokers in your team, people you're speaking to about Wow, that's a that's a heck of a percentage increase. Yeah,
3: I mean you're going to see that in more newer communities. Such I'll notice it more. But I was even talking then to some of uh, my experienced brokers in the downtown team today. You know, obviously that's a renowned part of Dubai, and even in the last year in the twelve months, then rental price have gone up around twenty three percent. You're seeing in places like Arabian Ranches, like core communities. Such as that of circa fifteen percent, the spring seventeen percent. So it's mm-hmm. not just nuke c- communities going; on. the whole the whole market is, and ranging between that fifteen to twenty three percent really across the board. Yeah, it's um,
1: oh, it it's happening. Uh, Tom Paulson with us today, um, from House and House. We've had a number of messages for you that have come in on four zero zero one. Um, Simon saying we're really happy with our villa and rent. I like the positive stories. Good for you. Do you know what, Simon? I am too. Really happy with our villa and rent. Is there any way to lock in the landlord for longer than a year? Oh, interesting. Is that... Yeah, good I've, question. I've never heard of that before. Would that be possible?
3: No, it, look, it is more, more common to just do the your year rent, uh, annual. But yeah, you can lock in. if You you can negotiate at the start of the contract before the contract started. If you want to do a, up to five years, to be honest, you can get an ajari up to then. Yeah. Um, Obviously, it's more risk, I guess, on both parties for the landlord and the tenant to commit to that long because you never know what price mm. is going to do. Someone will lose there, and especially you, out here.
1: And you don't know what can happen to your personal circumstances. Of course,
3: yeah. So as long as you've got, you can obviously negotiate exit clauses out of that if sh- that should happen. But legally, a contract is actually, if the landlord doesn't want to have an early penalty mm. or early termination, you fulfill the contract Um in that sense. So yeah, that's once again, use a good broker to negotiate the terms for you. But yeah, we see it sometimes two years, especially if it, if they know they're on a two year contract here, and they know they're maybe getting company allowance or so and then they if that's what they prefer and want and know that they don't want to leave for another year. Then and it works for the landlord as well. Yeah, you guaranteed rent for two years effectively. Then Interest, it can work.
1: Interesting, given how yeah. much prices are going up where I'm living, I might need a little little message. Um, message is saying I understand supply and demand, but the general quality and level of services in many areas doesn't warrant the prices in many cases. I have to say, with some, I have to agree. I'm like, crikey, you know, even around the corner from where I live, I'm like, I'm sorry, but you know, mm. four hundred thousand for a four bed villa is just wild.
3: Absolutely, I agree. You pay as well, especially as a market matures on location. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have ter- like once again, going back to UK or any established market, you're going to have terrible quality compared to brand new developments or so on. But because of the lo- the vicinity where it is, where, you know, central or near a beach or so on, on you thing- pay your premium for that. And so, if people
1: are willing to pay it, then that's what it's yeah, worth. And,
3: and all <laughs> I would say is that if these properties were Highly renovated and and Mm. added quality to it, they'd go up even more in price.
1: So, okay, so you are uh, you are an owner now. But if you were a landlord, um, in terms of sitting tight, looking to rent it out, you know, if your best mate came to you and said, "Oh, you know, I've got I've got a villa in the Springs," Mm. um, you know, what do you reckon I should do with over the next couple of years? What would you be saying?
3: I would say, for, for instance, now if it was. If they didn't need to sell it in the next couple of years, then I would definitely try and get them to commit to long-term rental for a property, for a villa. Mm -hmm. um, Because I believe, because the rents are very, very high and the way that the rental index works, okay, there's a thing for increasing the rent and index, but there's no decrease. So the landlord doesn't have to decrease the rent year on year. So you're locking in at a very high rate. And even if the market did continue to go up, which I actually don't think it will do too much if we come on to that, I do believe they might slightly soften or so on Mm -hmm. or pretty much stabilise. But you know you've got the benefit of, you're probably getting a good return mm-hmm. on your investment no matter what you paid for it. And probably quite good if you paid for it three plus years ago.
1: I um, wish I could talk to Helen of, you know, kind of
3: April 2020 and be like, yeah.
1: now might be a good time to stop to thinking yeah, about we all, buying. Yeah, I think
3: we all do. And that was the reason that I'm not, I'm, I get renting. I've done it for six out or seven out of nearly the eight years or so and I've been here. Um, it's a lifestyle choice for some definitely, if they know that they, you know, people like moving around different parts mm-hmm. of the world, people don't like that commitment. But for me personally, you know, and I get it, people say, oh, you know, why would you not buy because it's, you can, it's actually cheaper than renting, you know, because my mom, my annual mortgage, if you added all that up together, would be a lot cheaper than renting out. But you actually have to have a lot of, quite a lot of capital up front to buy these, you know, with your Absolutely. deposits and fees. But yes, to me, it's, I, I believe that I just didn't want to be here another seven years. And don't I, look at and me then, like that. it been then 17 have another, years, Tom. <laughs> yeah, it's that's crazy. not a dig at you, Helen. But, no, uh, no,
1: but it's interesting, but, isn't yeah, it?
3: yeah, and that's the reason why, because I think people are scared to commit, and I get that, but yep. how many people out there realistically have like, been here now 10, don't. 15, 20 years and been like, oh, when, when are you ever going to commit? Well, you
1: know? I'll tell you why. I'll, I don't mind telling you why we haven't bought, because I love where we live, and we can't buy where we live. You know, yeah, we live close. Jameera, yeah, yeah, I love living close to the beach, and unless something, you know, hmm. changes, then you know, we're really happy in the area, da-da-da-da-da. I also think it's quite interesting in terms of what people view as making sense for them, you know, and I'm not talking about Dubai specifically, but if you look at, you know, big cities like London and New York, sometimes financially it actually doesn't, make sense to buy. You know, if you think about commitment, about, as you're talking about upfront capital, about mm. service charges, da-da-da-da-da, you know, buying is often held up as a very aspirational thing, but it doesn't make sense to all people. You know, it might make oh, sense to, I'm, you know, uh, if you're thinking about living in different areas, different moving, yeah. moving cities, moving countries. Um, we touched on it earlier, but Maddy wants to know, any sense of correction or is this it now? And then about three exclamation marks and question marks. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I mean like we said i don't know if we, when people say correction it's correct into to what watch. figure I, I don't know they cut co- once again could we do we class that as just around that pandemic era or do we do it before but all i would say is that we are noticing at house and house which we are you know and i'm sure other big reputable companies are in the same part but we do a lot of transactions a month in rentals up like circa 150 plus wow. um so we are quite a good um you know source for that information as to what's happening but We are now noticing that properties are sitting on the market longer uh, because landlords naturally try and get the best price possible. They're not achieving them prices. I do believe that it is levelling out. That's how I describe it right now. And I believe going into 2024, particularly going into the apartment communities, there's a lot of more inventory handing over that are apartments. So I believe that that will maybe slightly soften prices, but I'm talking fractional percentages here. Not major correction in I, maybe her eyes.
1: I'm nervous to say bargain, but where can you get good value right now in terms of renting? Are there any any areas you're like, actually, do you know what? That's a that you get a bit of bang for your buck there.
3: I mean I if it was an apartment community I really like the old greens community. I love I the greens. That, I mean, don't get me wrong. Once again, the prices have gone. I'm not saying it's cheap by any sense, but yeah. all I'm saying is you do get good value for location is great. You can get to Shakeside Road literally within five minutes of that, mm-hmm. um, in two minutes. And they are nice and big. Yes, they can be dated inside. A bit of lick of paint and a nice cleanup and so on. And wrapping kitchens and, you know, these okay. small cosmetic changes, you they do make a, a massive kitchen. difference. Yeah. Okay. Um, great investment as well on that side things. And look, if you want real value for money in the sense, you know, you've, you've still got your, um, you've got villa community, a lot of people moving out. It depends if you need to there for work, but like EMAR South, you know, these EMAR communities and Damak Hills too, you still can get relatively, I want affordable villas, but you are sacrificing commutes to work or if you work from home, it's great. Or kind of been in amongst the, looking out your window, seeing Dubai, see it, you know, downtown, seeing the beach. Got to weigh it up. It's a lifestyle. Yeah, you can't have it all. It yeah. depends what's the priority for you right now. Yeah.
1: Um, for anyone that wants to avail of your expertise um, and, of course, catch up with you and the team uh, sales director, what's the best way of getting in touch? Can I share your website, for example? Would that be okay? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Any-
3: all our content and our phone numbers are all on there as well so there you um, go you've got email phone number directly to us
1: absolutely thank you so much i think it's really interesting to get a bit of a read about what is going on and i think next few months really really crucial obviously caught behind us now going into 2024 and i think your point about email south is really fascinating loads of people i know are moving out there and absolutely Mm. loving it um but you know Traffic's on the rise. Da, 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 we've got to. I basically what I'm saying is I'm never leaving my villa.
3: No, stay in there as long <laughs> as I'm you can. I'm going to message the landlord yeah. and say, but How just, do you feel
1: yeah. about you know going through until 2030?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, get that. We'll help you with that. Uh, locking you in. Don't the
1: experienced brokers <laughs> at House and House, Tom and Thank you so much. It is our family law clinic. Free advice with the incredible and very busy Madeline Mendy. She is a partner at the Bin Seven Advocates and is head of their family law department. How are you, Madeleine? Are you okay? Good. <laughs> Running around, but good. <laughs> Running around, but good, I think, is pretty accurate yes. of almost everybody listening today. It's a lot going on right now. Tons. Are you going to get a little break over Christmas? Um, That's a no. Genuine question, are you ever really off duty? No, you can't be. So you'll have people messaging you, WhatsApping, whether that's for the first time or needing your help if you're part of their, well, whatever process you're dealing with.
4: It's even busier during Christmas because it's family time, right? So when families have broken down... And and it's Christmas. This is when they, they they reach out
1: to you more, and they're more emotional. So, mm. um, when you're saying reaching out, what are some of the common issues that might might crop up at this time of year on the family law front? Sharing children during Christmas. Who has oh. Christmas Eve? Who has opening the presents on Christmas Day? Who has Christmas lunch?
4: Boxing Day. Those are very sore points.
1: And. Please forgive my ignorance. Um, are people wanting you to basically almost mediate their agreements and say she gets this, I get this, he wants that? Yes. I say you literally, when a settlement agreement for divorce has been done properly, you have the
4: time and the day that children are swap over oh, uh, to go from one house to another. So generally, you 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 try you tend to do the start the the handover we call it. Uh just after two o'clock on the Christmas Day.
1: Goodness me, it's gonna be well, we're gonna be on Christmas Day at two o'clock. I'll I'll have my show, so we'll be we'll be in the car. But isn't that we've talked about this on the show before, and I think I asked you the question that, you know, if your best friend came to you and said, you know, I'm thinking about getting separation, what would your first bit of advice be? And you've said it before and I know you'll say it again about getting some marriage counselling? Yes,
4: marriage counselling and also when families break down and, and you have issues like these Christmas, uh, Christmas issues, instead of paying a lawyer, I mean, I think the average family law lawyer in Dubai is paid between 1,900 dirhams an hour to two thousand 600 dirhams an hour, mm. uh, just invest there in a counsellor.
1: And, and with the best will in the world, as lovely as you are, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be spending all of your time in your office. You know, there, yes. there, there are ways, of, no. there, are, there are measures you can put in place to minimize that time and ultimately that fee. Yes. Um, so even if a couple is ultimately going to be getting divorced, counselling is not a waste of time or resources.
4: It isn't at all, because when you look at our average fee, so let's say our average fee is 2,100 dirhams, that's probably three hours mm-hmm. Of a counselor's fees, and you can just go into the counselor and say, "Right, we're not here to be to to receive counseling <laughs> to stay married. We don't
1: want to be together.
4: We don't want to be together, but we are getting a divorce, and we want to do it the amicable way. Yes, we can't stand each other. There are these points we need to fight over. over. Let's do it here with an independent person, because mm. once you get lawyers involved, nobody's independent. We're all in. Yeah,
1: you we're got, all in goals. for ourselves. Yes." Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of messages for you, Madeline, um, a number about divorce, of course. We've had about sponsoring a stepchild, a pregnant maid, some family mm. needing some help with. Um, before we go to the text lines, which we'll do very soon indeed, I wanted to ask you about travelling over yes. the holidays, because this is another very contentious and timely um, issue that you're dealing with. Um, and that we've we've said the word kidnap before, which sounds incredibly yes. dramatic. But actually, there's a bit of misconception around that word as a descriptor, um, and perhaps a bit of misunderstanding on, on what actually constitutes kidnapping in the eye of the law. Would you mind laying that out for us? Yes,
4: I use that word on I use that word on purpose because it's a shocking word, right? Uh, but it's a shocking act when you remove a child permanently from his home and from the other parent. It is it is something shocking. On on on. When you're taking that action, it may feel like a relief. But long term, you're damaging that child's relationship with the other parent. So yes, you've broken up as husband and wife part or partners, boyfriend and girlfriends. But um, I always say some of the worst partners can still make the best parents. Absolutely. And, um, and that child deserves both of his parents. Or at least if you're going to move out, let it be by consent.
1: So with kidnapping, what? what is the legal definition because you said permanently removing could it be a case of we're going to go back to our home country i haven't got permission from my spouse but i'm going to go anyway because this is what we want but with with a view of, of coming back well, that's the term right of you you're yeah, using a right? very
4: lawyer term right know, i'm learning so if you if you said if you said well i'm 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 going i'm not encouraging this of course but if you're saying i'm going over christmas and I'm coming back on the third of this of January, um, because we've discussed it. And at the last minute, my partner's changed his mind or her mind, and they don't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to let me to go. You can go. The reason why I say permanently remove because here in the Dubai in in the Dubai police stations, you can't file a case, uh, a criminal case on 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 uh, the illegal removal of a child, which is the definition for kidnapping from the UAE, unless some time has passed. So. Um, if someone decides to go, let's say they're travelling to England uh, on the 25th and then don't come back until the 7th, um, I'm not encouraging it, I'll say that again, but it's unlikely for them to be in trouble because there's a return date. It's for those that are just leaving with a view, and I'm putting that in inverted comma, with a view to come back, but that view could be
1: in two or three years' time. Absolutely. So what about travel bans? Um, Can you explain a little bit about how those come into play when they are relevant and necessary, and when they are a threat. Yes.
4: I mean, at the moment, travel bans are a very hot topic because you have a lot of families where children have travel bans on them. As I said, you can't have a travel ban on an adult unless there is a debt. But in family law, it's mainly on children that we put travel bans on. And either parent, there's always a misconception to think that it's only the dad who can put a travel ban on, either parent, whether they have the passport or not, can put a travel ban on the child. What that means is that child cannot leave the UAE, whether by sea, air, or any other port, or by by road, cannot leave the UAE at all, uh, without either the law, the order being lifted, or um, one of the parents going and applying for uh, a temporary lift of the ban when they provide someone else's passport as a guarantee. Uh, so you have a lot of those at the moment. People think, "Oh, I have travel ban; I can't go home for Christmas." You can go to the Aladi Typing Center, your nearest Aladi Typing Center, make an application, and as long as you have your flight details and a passport that you can leave as a guarantee, you should be able to leave within four or five days. Mm-hmm.
1: It's scary because it sounds like they're often misused. You know, as a bit very of much a, as a, bit it's of a weapon. It's a, exactly, exactly. Um, So how is that kind of monitored and regulated in terms of making sure they're put in place to ultimately protect the child? I mean, can someone effectively just, I don't want to say willy-nilly, but on a a whim, put a travel ban on a child? Yes. The the short answer is yes. You can get up
4: tomorrow and say, "Mm, do I think... You, You don't have to... The problem is you don't have to show proof of threat because... The kidnapping of a child is such a serious matter that the court will expect you Mm -hmm. not to misuse that. It's a it's a powerful protection for a child, but also, of course, if you have parents that are misguided, either by lawyers, because you have lawyers sometimes who 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 use the travel ban as the first port of call, so they are misguided or all themselves uh, are not genuine, then you end up with a lot of travel bans on children that shouldn't have travel ban on them because there's no intention of removing them permanently out of the UAE.
1: Madeline Mendy with us in the studio. It's your family law clinic. She's the partner at Bin7 Advocates, as the head of the family law department. Very, very busy indeed. I uh, was just saying round the clock messages. So I do appreciate your time. Um, for sitting down with us and helping out many people who've been in touch on the text line, on social media as well. Anonymous message here, which isn't strictly family law, but I think it's really important to put it to you if you don't mind, Madeline. saying, "Um, I'm medically insured in Dubai. The insurance covers lens replacement surgery with I need. Um, Unfortunately, the hospital sent the wrong report to the insurance company. It was somebody else's report, but in my name. The report stated I had the condition for eight years. Incorrect. Also stated I was pre-diabetic. Also incorrect. Hospital later corrected the report to the insurance company. However, the company is now refusing to accept the first report was an error. The hospital has offered me a 50% discount on the surgery. I feel that in no way I should be penalised when the hospital has made the error. Can you please advise? Of course, I'm a family law lawyer, but I think that's
4: more of a general law question uh, that we can all answer. The first thing I think it needs to make sure that the insurance has the right record, because even if he gets 50%, on the hospital, if the insurance still believes that he's pre-diabetic or he's had a condition for eight years, this problem is going to, to come back time and time again. So what I would start with first is to ask the insurance to check, to provide the record that they have or the database that they have for him, the data information that they have for him to make sure that's been rectified mm. and if it hasn't been rectified I will get in touch with the legal department of that hospital and for that hospital to liaise directly with the insurance so that they rectify it. It's the hospital's mistake. The hospital must rectify the issue. Just giving 50% discount is not going to, to resolve the problem in the long
1: term. Yeah, absolutely right. Please keep us posted on this situation. Patients, paperwork, It's all coming together in a perfect straw. Um, And I I listen in all the very best of the surgery if that does go ahead as well. Uh, Madeline Mendy's with us today. Um, Message from G saying, looking for some advice in regards to getting a divorce. Uh, When my wife, uh, sorry, when my ex and I split up, I moved here. She still lives back in the UK. Split was completely amicable. No animosity, mutual decision. We've got no children. Only thing we had together was a property which is already sold and divided up. Point is, a nice, straightforward divorce. Um, so is this something that could be done when I'm over here or does it require me to go back to the UK to sort it out? I know when we sold the house, we had to get a list to sign to say who I was, but I could do it all from here. I'm hoping it's the same. Thank you in advance for any info.
4: He can do it from here. The beauty of the UAE is you have about, I think there's four British lawyers. Uh, so British lawyers in Dubai and Abu Dhabi that are pleading in the English court. So if he wants to do it through lawyers, he can walk into one of those offices. Uh, there's one in Abu Dhabi that's expatriate law. And then there is several of us, there's three of us here in, in Dubai. There's, um, there's ourselves, of course, and Sivan and Advocate, but you have James Berry and Associates and TWS. You can walk into one of those offices. They will then act on his behalf to do his divorce. That's... Um, I was going to say that's the more expensive way to do it. But the cheaper way to do it is to do it online. Uh, You can issue on the .gov website whilst you're based in Dubai. You don't need to attend court. Uh, The divorce will take about six months because there's a procedure now. It's a three-step process. You pay about £570 uh, and then the divorce is is finalised. It's a no-fault divorce now Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be done from anywhere in the world.
1: Wow. Okay. Would you mind saying that website again? dot gov, uk.gov website okay. gov there you go jay all the very best in fresh start in uh, 2024 um we have got more questions about divorce but i want to talk about marriage now um getting married quickly for whatever reason it could be a burning love it could be a bun in the oven um tell yeah. us about some of the most efficient and indeed cost-effective ways to get married in the uae
4: uh, for non-Muslims, you can, as long as you have your paperwork uh, ready, which is your certificate of celibacy, your ID document, your passport, uh, and your. I think one one of the persons for Dubai court needs to have a, visa, a residence visa, you submit your application in the al typing centres uh, or in the Dubai court centres, and um, they call you when normally within 24 hours, you're given a date and you can be married. So it's very, very fast. You can be married within a
1: week. Gosh. So in terms of getting a date, do you get to, do you get a say, or is it a case of your appointment is at eight fifteen?
4: Generally, it's your appointment is
1: at eight fifteen. It probably will be <laughs> yes. a nice, nice, and early, yes. nice, and early in the morning, and you go for a nice wedding breakfast afterwards. exactly. Um, so that was for non-Muslims? That's for non-Muslims. For
4: Muslims it's slightly different because they require you to do a for non-Muslims, sorry, in Dubai for Muslims in Dubai it's slightly different because you're required to do uh, some medical procedures first to make sure that there is no co-sanguinity issues but the process is also straightforward as long as the woman the bride-to-be has a guardian available, you can walk into um, Al-Barsha Mall uh, I was going to say here in Albasha, but yes, the name gives it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, al mall with your father or the, gar- or the, the bride's guardian, uh, and go in and fill in the paperwork, and within 24 hours, they can give you a date for, for, for a marriage for a wedding. It's very are, straightforward.:
1: Are you getting many um, prenup discussions at the minute, Madeleine?
4: A lot a lot yeah. um, much more than the previous year this year has been a, I was going to say this year has been a year of prenuptial agreements i think people are more and more aware of the i want to say that the, the, the fact yeah the the, the the reality of the statistics of marriages so um the same way as people are doing vows for marriages i think for me prenuptial agreements are financial vows to say right in the event then this is what i promise you what are the numbers right now in terms of divorce rates? Wow. Well, um, the Dubai Court does not publish um, yet. I'm hoping that they will. But they don't publish yet non-Muslim or, or actually non-UA, non-UAE national divorce rates. Mm-hmm. But if we use the... So before divorcing in the UAE, you need to go and see a counsellor first. And then once you've passed the counsellor stage, if you're still litigating, then they, they send you to, um, to in front of the judge. So in terms of counsellors, we are at the moment over 10,000 cases open since the beginning of the year. It's so Massive, loads.
1: So and in terms of what would be included in a prenup? Because I think for a long time it's like, well, I'm not, you know of the Hilton dynasty. I don't need to have a prenup. All I've got is, you know, a knackered car and a hairdryer. You know, <laughs> that's all I'm bringing to the marriage. Um, What, what are some of the things that might be itemised or indeed included? Can it be future?
4: Yes. So, prenuptial agreements, you can put in future, you can put in inheritance, you can put in... Um also here the prenuptial agreements that are done here and, and it's something really important you can put in how you feel the custody or the guardianship of the children can be dealt with they do that in the in england we don't but but here we are able to do that and also people need to remember that prenuptial agreement are not so much in terms of i'm keeping what i have but it also says if we divorce this is what i'm going to give you, Got you. Uh, and that's important too
1: Don't forget, if you are getting in touch for our legal clinic, you're more than welcome to get in touch. Um, You can do that on 4001, on the app, the WhatsApp or indeed the phone line as well. Um, A message here from Samantha saying, if this could be raised, I'd appreciate it. We're Australian, we've got property here and in Australia. In the event of death, will Sharia law prevail? We've got sons, my husband's Muslim. How do you suggest I protect myself?
4: Well, Sharia will normally prevail in the first instance but the Abu Dhabi the, um, uh, the ADGM in Abu Dhabi you are now able the civil courts in Abu Dhabi you are now able to have Sharia compliant wills um, for, for Muslims so I would my advice would be to go and see a, um, a wills expert that is able to um, to, to help you draft a, a Sharia compliant will for a Muslim
1: person Hope that helps. Keep us posted. Uh, we have got Lisa on the line about marriage. Hi, Lisa. Hey, how's it going? Oh, good, thank you. How can we help?
2: Well, uh, this might be a little vague, but I heard that earlier this year the civil marriage laws changed throughout the country, and I was wondering what those changes were.
1: We touched on it earlier, but I think it's really important just to revisit, if you don't mind, Madeline, in terms of civil marriages in the UAE. Who is eligible? What are the processes? What are the passports or indeed paperwork involved?
4: Right. So there, there have been two civil marriages rules that have changed in Abu Dhabi, but also in Dubai. So Abu, um, let's start with Dubai first because that's where we are. So in order to get married here in Dubai as a non-Muslim, uh, through the civil marriage court, you need to bring in your passport, proof of your celibacy. So that generally, it's an affidavit, um, and then you need to be of legal age. You also need to. Complete the. Uh, there's a form that you complete online, uh, just providing your details, and one of you needs to be resident in the Dubai, in in the in the Emirates of Dubai, to be able to get married here. In terms of Abu Dhabi, it's also open to Muslims. Uh, that's why they've now called it. Before it used to be the non-Muslim court, but they, they changed the name to the to the civil court, and it's the same requirements. Um, but you need so, the wife needs to show that she's. Um, She's, uh, she's not
1: married or she's celibate. Okay, any questions on those? Lisa, does that help at all?
2: Is that, is that just for Abu Dhabi and Dubai or was there something that was federal or throughout the country?
4: No, it's a, it's a federal law that is then applied by each emirate. That's so nice. Dubai and Abu Dhabi have decided to apply it um, directly uh, onto their court system, but they, 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 they um, amend it accordingly.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much. You're, You're so welcome.
1: welcome. Have a great afternoon ahead. Um, Madeleine Mandy with us today um, as we talk family law partner at BIN7 Advocates and she's the head of their family law department. To the text line we go. Um, no name on this one saying, does your lawyer have experience with sponsoring a stepchild here? I know we need NOC from the father, but not exactly what should be stated in that. Um, can you get an example online? Thank you in advance.
4: I don't know if you can get an example online, but it's a very straightforward document that basically says, I am the father, I passport number and details, uh, the name of the child, I'm the father of the child, uh, here's the birth certificate, and I agree to X person, uh, give the nationality and their passport number, uh, sponsoring my child in the UAE. Okay. That's it. It took all of my willpower not to do
1: a, I am your father. <laughs> okay. Hope that helps. So pretty straightforward. Very straightforward. Obviously, if if people are all in agreement, presumably. Exactly, yes. It will have
4: to be signed and normally it will have to be notarised. Okay.
1: Um, Ant says, asking for a friend, honest. <laughs> Ant says, um, uh, they have du- du- uh, Dubai Court's divorce certificate. What do they need to do in order to make it legal in the country they got married in or is it good enough as is? Well, normally the the...
4: Divorce certificate is good enough as it is, but certain countries have extra requirements. I see the English court, for example, are happy with the document as it is here. But certain countries, I see, for example, I've had some Canadian nationals that have divorced uh, or or Italian nationals. So what they require you to do is first to have the document stamped by the Ministry of Justice here uh, to authenticate it. And then by the local embassy here, so if it's the local embassy or the consulate, the Italian consulate or, or the Canadian consulate, you then have the document stamped. And often some countries have a system where you have to submit the marriage, the divorce certificate directly to them. Okay.
1: But generally it stops there. Okay. Madeleine Mandy, we've got her for just eight more minutes. So you don't put your name on messages, of course. This is an anonymous one saying, Does Madeleine know if Dubai has a facility like a supervised contact centre like back in the UK? where a parent can meet with a child supervised, in instances, say, where a court has ruled they cannot have contact alone with their child. family friend wants to ensure that any contact with the father is supervised due to past behaviours, but she's struggling to find a facility in Dubai. Thank you.
4: So we used to have,
1: before, but it's changed
4: up to three, four years ago, we had the contact centre at Al-Basha, but it's not supervised contact. People often... um, get the two mixed. It's what we call assisted contact. So What does that mean? So assisted contact, you go into a contact centre, the parent is alone in a room with the child and they're playing together. No one is there taking note and supervising that contact. In a supervised contact context, the child is in a room with his parent and there's another adult in the room, on in the corner, taking notes about the interaction in of that social, child. a so, social worker type role in the UK. Yes. So, if it's assisted contact that they re- well, either at the moment assisted and supervised contact, we we no longer have that option. We used to at the Al Basha Center, but that's closed. Uh, that, so
1: that feels no. like there's such a gap there because I'm yes. sure so many families would benefit from that kind of middle ground, that neutral ground. Definitely. Sorry, we can't help in that situation. Um, a message here saying, can a Hong Kong marriage be annulled in Dubai? Well. Terminology why, 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 again. I'm, I'm smiling it, because
4: it's terminology. Terminology. Can a Hong Kong marriage, um, so, sorry, a Hong Kong marriage, it's a bit of a tongue twist, this one. <laughs> a Hong Kong marriage can be dissolved in Dubai, so with a divorce, but to be annulled, the marriage to be annulled, normally there are certain requirements. One of them is you've not uh, consumed the marriage and put so... If they mean, can they be divorced here in Dubai after having been married in Hong Kong? Yes, they can. Any nationality, as long as you're resident in the UAE.
1: Do both you, need to be residents?
4: Uh, generally, generally, yes. But you have instances where you can do divorces in uh, one of the partner's absence. Okay.
1: Um, annulment you're saying if if a marriage has been consummated then it cannot be annulled what about time period having passed since getting married is that a factor no because then as
4: long as the marriage has been consumed what you do then is get a divorce
1: annulment is just in certain particular circumstances okay I hope that helps Um, message here no name saying pregnant maid question Uh, live and maid is pregnant she's separated from her husband she's not married to the baby daddy she cannot go Back to her home country as the border is closed. What are her and our options? So if I understand, she's separated from her husband, so she's still married. It says separated,
4: not divorced. Yeah, yeah. So she's still married. And then you're saying baby daddy, but that's not referring to the husband. So it's she's not pregnant. The father. She's pregnant with someone else's yeah. baby. Well, there are two ways to deal with it, right? It depends where they want this child to be born. If this child is going to be born in the UAE, this woman is married in the UAE, so automatically the child will be um, attributed to the father. To the sorry, not to the father, but to the, the husband, husband uh, because because they're married. Uh, she does not necessarily, even if her the border to her country is closed, she doesn't necessarily need to go to her country to give birth. She can go to another neighboring country and give birth. Uh, and then come back. Mm-hmm. She wanted to have the, the father's name, the biological father's name on the birth certificate, then that would be the advice. Okay. Otherwise, here in the UAE, if, if the husband is not
1: available, it's going to be very difficult. Okay. Wishing you all the very best tricky okay one last question uh this is from rosanna i'm saying hi both i've recently learned that while my husband and i are both british passport holders because we were both born out of the uk me in saudi him in malaysia that our future children to have a british passport will have to give birth in the uk is there any way around this worried about pre and postpartum care where we would stay etc all hypothetical right now but need the peace of mind so rosanna her husband both have British passports, but I don't know if it's expat life it sounds like it's Saudi yes. Malaysia were both born out of the UK in order for their future child to have a UK passport she would need to give birth in the yes. UK. is that correct that's correct uh, it's a it's a new law that I think
4: that that the a new immigration law that was passed maybe ten years ago in the English in England where um, second generation passport holders they've been born abroad so I'm assuming that the caller was born abroad herself. So now for a child to be able to have a British passport, she'll have to be born in England. There's an argument to be made, so a test case. I doubt that she might want to be that test case. But there's an argument to be, born to say, to, to be made to say, well, if the child is born in the UAE, who wouldn't be given UAE nationality? Mm. So automatically you should be given the nationality of one of the parents. Um, but are they, do they have other passports? Then that would be the problem. Uh, that's interesting. Yes. But otherwise, there's no other nationality to be given to them. So the gov- the Crown will have no other choice but to, to give them nationality. So
1: no loophole necessarily? No. This has happened to a number of my friends, actually. Yes. Had, to go back, had to go back. It will happen to me. Really? So, yes. There you go. Rosanna, but you know what? You're absolutely right. Better to find out these things now than halfway through your pregnancy yes. and have to be making hospital changes, doctor changes, and all of that. But yes, you are, you are right. Um, Madeline, we've run out of time. We haven't run out of questions, which just goes to show how busy we are. Um, Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, I know how valuable it is right now. So, I was going to say go and go and relax as if. <laughs> I dread to think how many messages you've got during the course of the last yes. hour so okay go and catch up on your phone how does that sound? <laughs> Happy holidays to you and yours. Thank you. We will see you on the other side. Yes. Um, and you're an absolute superstar Madeline Mendy speaking to us she is the head of the family law department at Ben 7 Advocates. <laughs>